I so appreciate that song right before the message in communion this morning. It reflects everything that we're going to be thinking about today. It really turns our hearts and minds to what Jesus did. The beauty and majesty of Jesus summed up in my Jesus fair and what was done to him on the cross and the cruelty that we would be affronted by for anyone, except for maybe the most evil, not even that, even evil men to have to go through. And the beautiful Lamb of God went through it all for us. And then that last in the chorus, I lift my praise. How do we worship God effectively? I love the the words because it sounds like um, a contrast here, an oxymoron, so to speak. With joyful grief, how do you have grief and joy all at the same time? When you reflect on all that Jesus has done, has done, has done, the fact on the fact that he had to go through that for us, that's grief. And we will sense that in the service this morning as we take communion. But we also have that great joy that our sins are taken care of, that we have a relationship reestablished with God, and that is by the last few phrases there, abhorring all my sin, we worship God by being abhorred at our sinful condition and asking for cleansing. We'll take a few minutes at the end here to pray and ask the Lord to cleanse us of sin from this past week and things that we've struggled with. And then adoring only him, giving him all the glory, focus on him. I mean, that sums it up. And it's a great way to start as we now turn to John chapter 16 this morning in verses 23 through 33. And we are finishing up a few chapters that has been referred to as Jesus' farewell discourse. Why is that? Because this is the last teaching that he is giving his disciples before his sacrifice and resurrection. And if you'll remember, if you look back on chapter 15, uh, there was a break. The end of chapter 14, Jesus said, rise, let us go from here. It seems at that moment they left the upper room and they have been walking to the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has been teaching them from uh, the beginning of chapter 15 on to the end of chapter 16. And what has he taught them? That he is the vine, that they need to abide in him. That beautiful verse, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends as he was about to do. He refers to them as his friends. That must have been comforting. And folks, all that have trusted Christ today that are here, you are the friends of Christ too. Don't forget that. We are all his friends. Um, He reminds them of the persecution or explains in more detail the persecution that they are about to endure. And then he very graciously and gracefully explains that there will be a helper that will come, the paraclete that will enable them to endure through persecution and strengthen them for the mission and ministry that the Father 
has for them. He gives them some wonderful descriptions of the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And then finally, as we finished uh, last week, uh, verse 22, as he describes the sorrow that they will have, and this is chapter 16, 16, the sorrow that they'll have in his departure, he reminds them, he will see them again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you, that there would be great joy to still experience in the future in the midst of their great pain. He knows probably in just, I believe it's just a few hours that after he prays in the garden of Gethsemane, that he will be wrenched from them and they will scatter and they will flee and they will go through great misery. And so he wants them to remember in the midst of that, that he will come again and they will have a greater time of rejoicing and joy. And so that's where we left off. And now we're in 23. And Jesus, as he finishes up this crucial time of teaching before he goes to his father in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and that beautiful prayer in chapter 17 that will be beginning in a few weeks, then he's betrayed and arrested. This is a moving and dramatic end to this farewell discourse, the final teaching he gives his disciples before he will offer himself up as a sacrifice, and one that would surely, as they thought back on this, would lodge in their hearts and minds, even as they went through the disturbing events over the next few hours. And that was Jesus' point. You think about it, these disciples would soon face their greatest fears and their greatest failings. They would fail him utterly. And yet Jesus beautifully gives them hope that he will have certain victory that he will soon accomplish. And so to this morning, we'll be looking at he who has overcome the world. And let's just look at the last few verses of this passage, 31 through 33. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Father, thank you. What a blessing even reading these words are. Lord, I don't know all the details of what even our own folks are facing at this time. I pray that there is joy in hearts thinking over all that Christ has done. I'm sure there's discouragement, and trouble, and anxiety that are trying to flood and enter in. So, Father, let these words be of encouragement to us this morning, to all of us, that whatever we face, the power of Jesus to bring us joy and peace is greater because he has truly overcome the world and has provided everything we need for joy and peace with God forever. Let us revel in joy in these truths this morning and let it encourage us as we begin this new year. Lord, we know, Father, we know Jesus is coming soon. We can sense it. We don't know when, but we are so glad that the victor is coming back. 
and he's already overcome and we will rejoice with him forever. So let us take these few minutes and enjoy and really give us understanding through the Holy Spirit of these truths at this time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus is finishing up this great final discourse with the disciples. And in verse 23, he is describing again that day when he will be with them again and when the Holy Spirit will do his work in a greater way. And they will experience joy. And he says in verse 23, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. First thing we're going to see in these first few verses, 23 to 28, that he who has overcome the world, Jesus overcomes the barriers for restored relationship with God. He will remove those barriers, and he will, first of all, provide the disciples, his followers, greater confidence and directness in their prayers and in their prayer life. And he has, again, just described great joy that will come after great tribulation. And now in these verses 23 through 24, he gives a very practical avenue from which that joy would come. It would come through prayer. This is helpful for us. We know we need to pray, right? But do we actually, when we pray, experience joy? We find out here that we should. As we give, as we're able to directly talk to the Father, and maybe even the disciples hearing these things and thinking through, directly talk to God, our Father. Um, is that is that respectful? Is that appropriate? And Jesus says, "You will be able to do so." Back to verse twenty-three. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. What does he mean by that? Well. He means they will have no need to ask any more of the questions that have been plaguing their hearts that we've seen throughout this discourse, their misunderstandings. Jesus, you're leaving. You're returning. We don't understand in a, in a self-focus that has hindered them from truly understanding. And Jesus, remember, has said as well that I have spoken um, in a way uh, that you have not been able to fully understand. Um, he has said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But there will come a day when they will have the understanding that they seek, is what Jesus is saying here. That all these questions that are coming up in your mind right now, they'll be answered. You will see the results and you will understand. And he says, whenever, again, he says, truly, truly, he's saying, listen to me. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This is a new format in praying for them, really. They've never prayed to the Father in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you will have a closer relationship with the Father through what I'm about to go through because of the mission that I'm about to accomplish. It will provide you an even greater personal sense of relationship with your Heavenly Father. And you'll be able to talk with Him in a more direct way. In my name, I remember a lady in our 
congregation in Maryland. And she passed away many, many years ago. But she was known as the Amen Lady. She was the one lady in our church that every time the pastor said something that she really appreciated, she just yell out, Amen. And we didn't have a lot of those Amen ladies or, or men in our services. So it was very apparent. But nobody was going to argue with her because she was of such an age. She was an, uh, an older saint that, was, you know, let, let um, her do what Miss Doris, let her do what she wants to do at that point. And uh, she was very outspoken in a lot of things. But one of the things she would always tell me as a young assistant pastor, as a youth pastor, she would say, if I had was involved in prayer or public prayer in any way during the service, and I forgot to use or to say the words in Jesus' name, I knew even before she got to me that I was in trouble because I'd come down from the pulpit and she immediately would come up. And she would say, don't you know? You're supposed to pray in Jesus' name. You make sure you do that. Sorry, Miss Doris. I thought I did. You sure? Well, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> I'll make sure that I do that. Well, certainly with these words, Jesus and what Jesus is saying here, it is appropriate to pray in His name. And if you've heard that growing up, and that that's fine. Um, what really? Don't miss the point, though. What Jesus is really saying, even more important, is that what he's about to do and what he's about to accomplish will restore, will, will um, enable a more personal prayer life with his followers and with his disciples. So if you forget in the future to pray in Jesus' name, it's okay. You're not going to be... Um, it's, it's not sin to, to do that. Or if you pray and you pray directly to the Son, pray to Jesus, or even pray to the Holy Spirit and talk to the Holy Spirit, you know, that's okay too. The point here is not to establish a right or wrong on this. It is appropriate to pray in Jesus' name, but always remember that as you pray to the Father, why you're able to do so? Because of Jesus' sacrifice for us and what he accomplished. That's really the point here. And whatever the Father will ask in my name, he will give it to you. Oh, that had to have been exciting for them. Wow. There will become a time where whatever I want, my Father will give it to me. Whatever you ask in my name. We've had a little bit of an experience of that. If you've asked for something this Christmas and received what you asked for. Wow, that's, that's really nice. It's always a nice thing to be able to receive what you asked for. But what is Jesus really saying here? I think that we all know that he's not saying, whatever your heart desires, you ask the Father and he will give it to you. There's plenty of other passages of scripture that help frame this. Jesus is saying, in reality, that his followers very soon will be spiritually revitalized and strengthened after his death and resurrection. They'll be more in tune to the Father's mission for them and whatever they ask for help in accomplishing the Father's mission and proclaiming Christ for them, they will receive. So for all of us here today who truly want to accomplish the mission that God has for our church today, in proclaiming Christ, know that Jesus, this promise, remember this, that Jesus says the Father will give us all that we need to accomplish that mission. Don't be afraid. Be bold. Be ready to serve him effectively. Jesus says, because of what I am to his disciples, what I'm about to do, he says to us today, what I have done. 
you will have what you need for service. Verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. This was a new concept to them. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Whatever they want um, as far as needing help for ministry and for service to God, Jesus says you will have an abundance and you will have joy in abundance as you serve me. They're about ready to have, if I can put it this way, an upgrade in their ministry experience that Jesus will provide for them. Had a frustrating experience um, this last week where my computer, um, I, I will be honest, well, I'm always honest with you, candid. I struggle with something when it comes to my computer. That is, I'm not one that automatically upgrades the software on my computer when it tells me I'm supposed to. In fact, I just kind of get used to the operating system, the way that it always functions. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to download that new upgrade right away. There might be some bugs or problems with it, and I'm really stuck. So I may wait months, probably years, <laughs> before upgrading. And um, it finally caught up with me this past week where it had been a long time since I'd upgraded the software. And I started having difficulties as I was doing so in my computer uh, malfunctioned. So I had to take it to the Apple repair store. And one of the nice things was I found out that when they upgrade your software, they do it for free. So that was helpful. But it was really frustrating to have a brand new software and upgrade when uh, I had to learn a lot of new things and work through a lot of things. And I just liked it the old way. Right? I like things the way that they were before. But what I've been finding is now that it's been, I've been working through the trouble and getting to know a little bit more, it actually has been very beneficial. It has fixed a lot of problems that I didn't even realize I had before on my computer. And it has enabled me to do things that I wasn't expecting I'd be able to do. Well, the disciples in this analogy want things back the old way. They just want to be with Jesus. They want their expectations is that Jesus is going to stay with them and he's going to introduce the kingdom and he's going to reign. And they don't want to leave those expectations behind. But Jesus says, no, there's, if I can put it reverentially this way, there's an upgrade coming and it will be much better than you can imagine. And it will be much more helpful than you can imagine. In your prayer life, in your spiritual life, they would very soon, they would ask for what they needed to complete the mission God had for them. And the joy would come through the answered prayer that they would receive and through the reception of the Holy Spirit. I had no idea the benefit I would have in upgrading my system, my computer system. The disciples had no idea about the joys that they were about to experience through what Jesus would do. One commentator said this, Leon Morris is his name. They will go through trials, but when they put their trust in him, he puts a joy in their hearts that can never be removed. Notice that this is connected with prayer. They are to pray in order that their joy may be complete. It cannot be complete in any other way. Folks, we cannot have the full joy of our relationship with God if we're not talking to him. The joy comes in our fellowship with him and our talking and our asking and our being real and being honest for the help that we need. And we have that experience today. We can experience that even now. The disciples still had to wait for it. 
So Jesus would overcome the barriers for their confidence and prayer, but would also provide them a closer relationship with the Father. Let's look at verses 25 through 28. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I am from God. So Jesus um, recognizes that he has given them much truth. And the things he's saying in this farewell discourse will stick with them, and they are necessary. But the full meaning of what he has been saying to them is still not apparent. And we can tell that from from reading this, and Jesus is being very open here. He knows that they don't understand everything. And that has to be frustrating to them. He says, it seems like figures of speech, but the hour is coming, and he will say, is here very soon. The hour has come where you will understand his sacrifice, his atoning sacrifice, his resurrection will come, and the results of what Jesus will accomplish will give his disciples a fuller understanding than they have right now. Jesus has to go through this horrible experience so that his disciples can have, and his followers can have a clearer understanding about the Father's salvation plan. They can't understand the gospel fully until they experience what Jesus is about to experience and go through this. And he says, you will know plainly that salvation, all and, and that the Father is about to do. And in that day, you will ask in my name. Then he says something kind of interesting here. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. He's not saying here, Um, In any way, commenting that he's not going to intercede at all for these believers, these disciples. We think often about the intercessory work that Christ um, accomplished for us. And um, as he continues to appear uh, before the Father for us in that way. But he's not saying that there will be no need for intercession. But what he is saying is that he is about to accomplish the intercessory work that will be completed so that they will not they will be able to address the father directly as his children they will not need jesus to come before the father in other words to appease him before they can talk with him rather like this like a secretary who has to make sure of their superior's temperament before a visitor is received. If you've ever gone before, had to go before a superior, your boss or whatever, and the secretary went in before you to kind of make sure that he wasn't busy or that he was in the proper mood to be able to receive visitors, and there was that little bit of anxiety, Uh uh-oh, is he in a mood to be able to receive what I'm about to tell him? Well, I hope she can kind of smooth it over for me. Sometimes we think that way about um, our prayer with the Father, that somehow Jesus is the one who is loving and kind, and he has to go to a wrathful and stern Father and almost calm him down as we get ready to talk with him. And folks, that's not true at all. 
Jesus says here, that's what he's saying. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. Here, Jesus is actually addressing a common misunderstanding of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Folks, get this. Our Heavenly Father is as loving and kind as his Son. The Son does not have to go before the Father for us now and calm him down in his anger and wrath. There's a man uh, named Dane Ortland who wrote a book. I've shown it to you before. I've given it to some of our leadership here, um, Gentle and Lowly. And he really hones in on this misunderstanding that we have many times and really fits well with what Jesus is saying here. He says, a correct understanding of the triune God is not that of a father whose central disposition is judgment and a son whose central disposition is love. The heart of both in one, the heart of both in one and the same. This is, after all, one God, not two. Theirs is a heart of redeeming love, not compromising justice and wrath, but beautifully satisfying justice and wrath. For those that have believed in Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, folks, as Jesus says here, that have believed in him, that love him. Be assured the Father loves you, and you can talk to him. He's just as loving as the Son. And don't get those two, don't mischaracterize your Heavenly Father in that way. He's as gentle and as loving as Jesus is, and he wants to hear from you. And you can talk with him directly. And so what wonderful, wonderful truths Jesus is providing these men had love for Jesus, and they placed their faith in him. Was it a perfect love or faith? No, it was not. Do we have a perfect love and faith for God like we should or for Jesus? No, we don't have to have that perfected. One day we will, but God still loves us even when we struggle sometimes with love and struggle in our faith. For him, he still loves us. Their faith and love were limited, but God's love toward them was full. And God's love toward us is full. Then Jesus in verse 28 delivers a marvelously condensed statement of theological truth. Look at this. I came from the Father, his pre-existence, and I have come into the world, his incarnation, that we've celebrated this last week. We celebrated yesterday, the incarnation. And now I am leaving the world his atoning sacrifice, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. And then finally, going to the Father, his ascension. One verse sums up beautifully the whole purpose of Jesus. Amazing. If the disciples wanted clarity and truth in a condensed form, they got it here at the end. And they're happy about that. And they're excited. And really, as they respond to this statement, this beautiful statement, we could reflect on that forever, right? Jesus is God, always pre-existing, coming into the world, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, as, and now we look forward to his coming again as king, and his disciples are excited, and they make a statement that is probably one of their strongest statements of faith and is um, commendable, 
but they also still misunderstand. His disciples, verse 29, said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you, you came from God. And Jesus is going to have to do something here as they make this statement. And we're going to see that Jesus, he overcame the barriers for restored relationship and prayer and provides us a closer relationship with the Father. But Jesus also will overcome the world to bring peace. And he will, first of all, have to address, again, their misconceptions here. Well, they've responded with great faith. I mean, just look at that statement. Now we know, you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. We believe that you came from God. That really is the strongest statement of faith that these disciples have laid claim to, have, have pronounced, in other words, before Christ. And it is remarkable. They're saying, we know that you are the Messiah, that you have come from God. They even may be referring to his deity here. And that he knows all things because only God knows all things. So they really, in actuality, may be starting to understand that Jesus is God. Well, that's remarkable. But the only problem is they give themselves too much credit in this. You are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know. And they think they have a full understanding. But Jesus had already made it clear to them, right? You don't understand it all yet. There's still more that you have to go through. They think we've got it all. You're the one and we're behind you. And they're excited about this. But think about this, folks. If they really understood and knew what was about to take place, would they be excited? No. They'd be sobered. They'd be, they'd be much more serious and sober-minded than they are in this statement. It's a wonderful statement, but it's incomplete. Jesus has to gently correct their enthusiasm. The hour of his sacrifice has come. It's here for them. And they will all abandon him. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. He's saying it's here. It's no longer speaking in future tense. It's here. The hour has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home and will leave me alone and they will face their greatest failure as they totally abandon this one that they truly do love but they're not prepared yet for what is about to take place i was listening to i listened to dr mark minnick many times one of my seminary professors and have gained much from him i love this quote that he um, gave when he taught this passage he said this in a few moments, all these men, big, strong men who have been with Jesus all these years, seen all of these miracles, men who truly do love him, and they truly did. These men will be running, gasping for air, their eyes wide, their clothing torn in the brambles. They will not find their feet fast enough, every one of them, just a few hours. Wherein did their failure lie? 
What was their fail? What would their failure be? It would be a failure of their faith. They all would fail Jesus in literally just a few hours. And Jesus says still, yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. And I know that this is a, seems like a contradiction because we know that in one sense, the suffering Jesus would have to go through, he'd have to be separated from his Father. That sin would separate him. But at the same time, in another sense, remember, we're talking about the Trinity here and the relationship between the Father and the Son. In another sense, Jesus says, the Father is with me. I can't explain that. But I know it's true. Yes, they would. there would be a separation because of the sin that he would be ready to bear. But at the same time, Jesus says, even though everyone else will abandon me, my Father is still with me. So I'm going to be okay as I go through this. And then he gives these disciples this wonderful last bit of encouragement as they are getting ready to face again their greatest failure with their best friend. And he says this to us today as well. I have said these things to you. All of this teaching and this farewell discourse, not that you'll be troubled, right? Not that they'll be afraid, but ultimately that in me you may have peace. But what again is that peace? We've talked about that before. It's not just a shallow, oh, I just want peace and quiet. I just want a little bit of, um, of um, space between all of my responsibilities and all that I'm facing. I just want a little bit of relaxation from that. No, this peace that Jesus is referring to is so much more deep than that. It refers to a spiritual and physical well-being that we would be well in all things. And Jesus says, that peace you will have through me. In the world, you will have tribulation. All the world can give us, folks, is trouble. That's all we can experience. That's all the world. And we, we seek for so many things from the world that are important to us. And Jesus reminds us, all you're going to get from the world is trouble and fear and anxiety. Why go after the things of the world? What does Jesus offer? Peace, full satisfaction, spiritual well-being, and ultimately eternal physical well-being, right? We are going to receive that one day. We're going to get it all. And so he says, again, to men that would fully, awfully fail him, he provides words of comfort to encourage them and provide peace of mind. Jesus will provide peace, and he's going to provide victory. Look at that. But take heart. Everything Jesus is going to go through, and he wants to calm the heart and show his love to the hearts of these men. Take heart. I have overcome the world. How can we leave with a better message than that today? Jesus, through all the terribleness, the, the terrible events of the next few hours and the next day that he will have to go through, he's confident that he will be victorious, that he will crush the serpent's head, that he will have victory over sin and death, 
And he says, all of the things that will trouble you, I will overcome. I will overcome the world. You want to be on my side, disciples. You don't want to be on the side of the world. You're on the losing side if you choose the world. But if you're on my side, I've overcome the world. And you can take heart and have peace through what you're about to go through. One more thing here, folks, as we finish up, I think is important. And what Jesus is saying here. Something I really think we need to come to grips with if we haven't yet. That is that we will never be all that we should be in our spiritual growth patterns on this earth. If you're trying to, to live a life that's trying to impress God somehow with how much more you can follow after him than others, then, then you're, going to, you're going to fail in that. You're going to have frustration. We are going, we're never going to be all that we want to be in our spiritual growth patterns on this earth. We are all going to fail Christ in one way or another multiple times in our lives. And yet, Jesus' victory on the cross provides us stumbling believers his full love and peace, even in the midst of our failings. Folks, remember this, our biggest failures are his opportunity to minister to us his peace and care. That's what he's saying to his disciples. You are going to fail me miserably, and it will give me opportunity to show you my peace and my love. So do you feel distant from God? Even at Christmas time, are you lacking in peace this season? The answer is real simple. Surrender your sins and failings to him. To Jesus. And remember, for those of us that have trusted in Jesus Christ, Jesus acquired the victory that we need for full peace. For anyone here that hears the sound of my voice and doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, come to him today. Trust in him. Believe in him as his disciples did and experience that peace and love that only Jesus can give. He has overcome the world, and he can provide for us all that we need to serve him faithfully and to stand firm until he comes. He will provide the peace and love that you so desperately are looking for in a relationship with him. Those are wonderful, hopeful words to end a final teaching time with your followers before your death. And they're good ones for us to remember as well. As we go to prayer, let's take some time as we're about ready to have the communion service as well to prepare our hearts, to make sure that as we uh, experience this communion service together, that we have reflected and asked Jesus uh, for help with the sins that we're struggling with. Basically that we are pure as we come um, before him in this communion time. And let's do that together as we pray. Father, thank you for these wonderful, glorious truths. What There's no better hope that can be given than to know that through trust in Jesus that we can go to you at all times because you love us as our Heavenly Father. And that Jesus will provide us peace that he will, that he did that he did gain ultimate victory, that he did overcome. And all we wait now is for the final representation of that 
as he returns and shows his glorious victory to the world. Lord, thank you, as broken and as dark and as evil as this world is, that it will not reign over us. But we serve a higher king that will return and come and make things right. And we say, even now, so come, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, help us not to be beset by anxiety and discouragement and fears. But let us remember what Jesus told his disciples, that he has overcome all so that we can have peace and joy. And let us be people of joy as we serve you here. For it is in. Lord, help us as well to even now have our hearts prepared as we think of what Jesus has done for us and think on the truths of his sacrifice and all that it offers us. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.